Thank you, Ben. That's a great assignment. And uh, boys and girls, that is great. And let me remind you, you don't have to be a child to take, participate in that assignment, by the way, right? And I'd encourage you to think about it. Is there someone who couldn't be here today because some physical limitations, whether they're elder or not, and be an encouragement to them? Well, let's take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning. Uh, do me a favor as I get started. Uh, first of all, let me ask you a question since you don't know me very well. Uh, is it okay if I just kind of make myself at home this morning? Can I do that? Amen. Okay, that's what I want to do. And I don't want to act like a stranger. I just want to act like I belong here. David's a friend of mine. I've met many of you along the way. Enjoyed uh, in the Bible study hour this morning, but I just want to make myself at home. And on top of that, I want you to do something. As I share God's Word this morning, that you would pray. You don't have to bow your heads or close your eyes. But just in your heart, say, God, today, speak to my heart. Would you do that right now? God, today, speak to my heart. Because I believe He really wants to. And we're going to uh, get into God's Word and, and let Him just speak to our hearts and see how it can challenge us and help us as a church and as believers. If you weren't in our Bible study hour this morning, I had a great opportunity to talk about some research I've done about what keeps kids connected to church into their adult lives. That's not really my subject specifically, but we are going to talk about a generational collide that we're experiencing. And so the message is called, When Generations Collide. And I'm at a real unique stage in my life where now my kids have grown up. Uh, baby girl just graduated college. She's still with us right now working on a master's degree. And so two daughters are married, and uh, grandkids are now part of the equation, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and a three-year-old. And I've really enjoyed my parenting journey. Just want you to know that. been very challenging, had our ups and downs, but it's been really good. I will say to you students, though, you haven't lived until you've come to a point that you've got to experience what I experienced as a parent. It's like when you've got a, a child who's two or three or four years of age, and you're asleep in the middle of the night, minding your own business, dead asleep, and feel fingers doing this on your head in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know, you wake up startled, like, what in the world? Who's, my wife, what's she doing? That's my, it's my child. And I look at a little two-year-old, three-year-old girl looking at me, looking down at me. I say, what is it, baby? Daddy, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> well, get out of my face, you know, what I'm saying, you know. And so we've had some nights like that. And I remember one night, uh, my youngest daughter, Larissa, she couldn't have been more than three or four. And she was having one of those nights. She had a bad stomach. And so she was with us. And it was a mess and everything. And she sat up in the bed with those little bitty eyes. And looked at me and said, Daddy, said, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> and it was for her at that point, you know. And so it was just so cute. And, you know, I started praying for her. I thought, you know what? Lord, make me sick. You know, if you could take it off her and put it on me, I, I would take the sickness for her. That's how much I, I love my daughters. You know what I'm talking about if you've got children or if you have grandchildren, how that goes. Well, my kids have grown up, and I want to tell you one thing I've learned about them. They are a lot different than I am. Now, they share my values, but my three daughters genuinely have a different way of thinking than I think. And that can be a challenge sometimes uh, for us. And what I'm discovering is sometimes in the church, since the generations tend to think differently, it can be a challenge for us also. The reality is, whether we like it or not, is that the church is going through changes. Not just your church, but churches all across North America. We looked at some of the reasons this morning, and we'll look at some this morning as we share. And I want to say this, and I begin to fit this category here. Older believers in particular are going to be very challenged with the changes that we're seeing. Now, it's not changes to the Word of God. It's not changes to the Gospel. 
It's not changes to the truths of God's Word. But it is some changes to the way people view worship and the way they view service and the way they view church attendance and many other things like that. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy for this reason right here. This is not a new issue. It just has not come up within our generation in the 2000s. It really goes back, I think, probably more than 2,000 years ago. But Timothy, and students, just to remind you, in the New Testament, after you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you have Acts, which is the history of the early church, and then beginning in Romans, 1 Corinthians, right along there, all the way through up until Revelation, you have these epistles or these letters that were written to churches. And it was before they had the Internet, before they had radio, before they had television, these men of God would write these letters and they would send them to be read in the churches. Now, a couple of these letters were addressed to churches. A couple were addressed to individuals. This is an example. The first letter to Timothy. The writer is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to this young pastor named Timothy. And in this letter to 1 Timothy, or this first letter to Timothy, He's talking about how Timothy should conduct himself inside the house of God. Now, here's the problem that's going on. Timothy is a young pastor, and he pastors the church at Ephesus. Now, you may remember this morning, if you were in our Bible study hour, we read from Ephesians. Uh, the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians attended there. That was the church that was uh, pastored by Timothy. Now, Timothy was a young pastor. And one thing we see early in this letter is he says, or Paul says this, he says, as I told you before, he says, I want you to remain in Ephesus. Now, I said I'm going to make myself at home. Let's be casual right here. If Paul's telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, as I told you before, you need to remain in Ephesus, what does that tell you about what Timothy wants to do? What does he want to do? He's ready to get out of there. He says, this is a hard church. They're not responding to my leadership. They think I'm too young. They think I'm too inexperienced, and quite frankly, I'm a little bit on the shy side, and I'm having a real difficult time managing, leading, shepherding this church. And Paul says, no, you need to stay there. So then he begins to give him instructions and tries to help him in his leadership with this church about how they conduct themselves inside the house of God. And then later he'll write him another letter, 2 Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, about how he is to conduct himself outside the house of God. So that's kind of the background. Now, there's a lot of issues that he addresses with Timothy, this young pastor at Ephesus, and the first one we find in verses 9 through 16. So let's, as I read this, follow along with me. He says to Timothy in verse 9, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, or don't let them come into this ministry that we're talking about. Don't bring them in. And not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So there's some standards to be a part of this ministry or a part of this group that he's referencing right here. Verse 11. But, or on the other hand, refuse the younger widows. For when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry or to be married again having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry or, or be married again, bear children, manage their homes, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan." If any believing man or woman has widows, 
Let them relieve them or let them take care of them. And do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So what you're going to see here, the challenge they faced was unique for their context. Probably not an issue you're having right now about your uh, ministry to your widows and your older widows. It was a challenge there. So the context was unique, but the application is universal. Because what's happening here is in this first church they're having or experiencing a generational collision with the older widows and what he would refer to as the sub-60, or in this case, the younger widows. Now, that's not where we are. The challenges we're facing tend to be with the post-30 and the pre-30 years of age. That's not the only collision going on, but that's a pretty common one that we're seeing in our churches right now. Now, I want to share three things with you, and you'll see in your notes, in your bulletin, if you want to follow along, that you'll find in this text that applies to where we are as a church, not only at First Baptist Thompson, but my home church, Hebron Baptist Church, and I just finished a nine months serving as the interim pastor, and we tackle a lot of these issues, and I'm fighting in churches across not only Georgia, but across the Southern Baptist Convention. So notice number one, generational concerns. In the New Testament, in Timothy's day, they experienced some generational concerns. I believe today, we are experiencing like never before generational concerns. Go back to verse nine. Do not let a widow, watch this, under 60 years old, so he draws a mark here, be taken into the number or come into this ministry and not unless, again, he gives a standard. She's been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. She's brought up her children. She has lodged strangers. She's been hospitable. She's washed the saints' feet. She, you know, where she's cared for uh, other believers. She's relieved the afflicted. She's diligently followed every good work. Then verse 11, he draws that line, but refused. Here it is. The younger widows, well, when they've begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation, because they have cast off their first faith. Now, so, in Ephesus, they're starting this ministry to help these ladies whose husbands have died. Now, bear in mind, a much different economy than we're in today. And whatever you think about politics, we've got to confess, we're really blessed to be living in 2019. I mean, even the poor among us, when you look historically, uh, the things that are accessible to them and available to them are just things they would not have had in those days. Uh, there was no Social Security. Uh, there were no government uh, safety nets for widows. It, it was up to the family to take care of the widows in that day. Now, in a situation where the family could not take care of the widows that lost their husbands, they started this ministry where the church took the responsibility for those who did not have children who would take care of them. As a matter of fact, it, it talks about this earlier in the text, and go back to verse 8, after summarizing the responsibility of children to take care of their parents into their senior years, he says, if anyone does not provide for his own. And what he's talking about there, if one does not, as a believer, take care of their aging parents. That's essentially what the context is here, if you go back to their previous verses. If one does not take care of his own, and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith. You're, you're being unbiblical. You're, you're being unchristian. Uh, you're not following the tenets of God. You have denied the faith, and you are living worse than an unbeliever. He said even an unbeliever should understand the importance of taking care of those who once took care of you. And so it's kind of shameful that someone not. Now, my uh, dad deceased when I was 29 years of age. I lost him a long time ago. Uh, my mom is still living. She lives with my sister half the time and with us half the time. 
And there's no wrong way to take care of your parents. And I'm thankful we live in a society and we do have a lot of governmental programs that can support us and support our family. And I want to say this respectfully, and please understand, again, there's a lot of ways to accomplish this with your own parents. But just to make this point, it is not primarily the government's responsibility to take care of my 83-year-old mom. It's primarily my responsibility. Now, to the degree I can access some of that to support me, that is fine. But it's primarily my responsibility to take care of my mom as long as I am physically, financially, emotionally, mentally, as long as I can do it, it's my responsibility. That is the tenet that he's teaching right here, but there are some cases where maybe you can't. Or maybe there's some cases where what if a parent has non-believing children or children who live in another part of the world? You can imagine it that day. If a child lived 100 miles away, you'd just never see them. It's not like you had FaceTime or you could, uh, you know, go on Skype or Polycom and have a conversation. Uh, by the way, the iPhone's only 10 years old now. That hasn't been around for all of history. So if a child lived 50 miles, 100 miles, you would never see them. So imagine this, this mom who's lost her husband and now her children have, her, her daughters have married off, her sons live miles away. Who's going to take care of those Ladies, well, that's what this is all about. So he talks about this generational divide, though, because what happens is it appears these younger widows who are fully capable of working still and generating income and resources, who are capable of perhaps marrying again, they're trying to get in on this ministry and these benefits that are designated and set aside for these older widows. And what Paul is saying in essence is this, how dare they? I mean, they shouldn't be doing that. I mean, they're younger. They've got the energy and the ability to care for themselves. So he, again, identifies this generational divide. Now, here's the challenge that we're facing today. It's not that we've got two generations and we're divided. Today, we live in a culture where we have literally five living generations right now. And that's kind of unprecedented. You go back culturally, here in America and across the world, at any given time, there's three generations that are at work. And that could... Uh, Elementary in an elementary way be divided like this, your, your grandparents and your parents and your children. And occasionally there's some great-grandparents in the mix, but generally there's three generations, the grandparents who are living, the parents who are living, and the children who are living. Now there's five generations. We've got our greatest generation, uh, those who fought World War II, uh, our most senior adults, 70-plus, the most saved generation alive, but they are uniquely different from their children who are called baby boomers. That's what I am, a baby boomer who were affected not by World War II, we were affected by the moon landing. We were children when it happened, and we just learned that we're going to take a man to the moon. You can accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. And so we're very uh, purpose-driven, and we're very ambitious, and we are builders ourselves, and we inherited that from our parents. But our children are different. They're called Generation X. And they were affected not by the moon landing. They were affected by the challenge disaster. You remember that? When kids all over the nation were in their schoolrooms watching the shuttle uh, Challenger take off and explode in midair and the loss of the lives of all of those astronauts right in front of them. While the moon landing happened late at night, that happened during the school day for kids across America. And it really affected their view of the world and many other things. And yet, there's another generation you're probably more familiar with. And it would be the millennials. And those would be the younger adults in their younger 30s and, and uh, older 20s. And they were affected by 911 by the downing of the Twin Towers. And so they're very fearful, and 
There, I'm, I'm speaking against a group, speaking broadly here, sometimes not as motivated, sometimes not as engaged as their predecessors were. But now there's a whole new generation that has entered the scene between the ages of 8 and 23, and they're known as Generation Z, or also known as Digital Natives. They've never known the world without the Internet and 24-7 access to the whole world, and the whole world has access to them. And so they've been affected by this digital age in which they live. So what happens is this. My youngest daughter, it's amazing how different she is even from her older sisters who are the Gen Xers. She's more of an older, or really, a, a, yeah, she'd be right at the, she's about 23 years of age, an older Generation Z. And it is amazing, again, how she is in terms of her engagement with uh, the World Wide Web and those other things and how she thinks different. Now, it's easy for us as we get older to look at younger adults and get very cynical, isn't it? Quite frankly. Now, I want you to know this. Uh, I heard a guy say one time that when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac at 12 years of age, and I said, well, hold on. I said, the Bible never says that Isaac was 12 years of age. He said, well, if Isaac had been 13, it would not have been a sacrifice. <laughs> if you've raised teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> teenagers, don't be offended. I'm just having fun here. Call them to defend you for a moment. Well, I talk about the younger generation and a cynicism we tend to have as older adults. When I grew up, as we crossed that river of maturity, for me it was knee-deep. And it pushed against me slightly. And some of my friends slipped and fell and didn't make it. But the same river I crossed that was knee-deep, students today, for you it's neck-deep. And the tide is pushing so much harder against you than it pushed against me. And it's harder morally, socially, spiritually to be a teenager for you than it was for me. I'll just admit that. That don't mean God can't work and God can't bring you through it, but you do have a steeper climb. But don't misunderstand me, teenagers. That doesn't mean that we had it easy and you got it hard. Some things were harder for us. Get an example, our parents tried to kill us when we were growing up. They're not trying to kill you. <laughs> true. Isn't that true? I never wore a seatbelt growing up. We take off to Panama City, Florida. I mean, when I'm a child, just play all over the back seat. You know what I'm talking about? And in the back window. And never wore a seatbelt. Just play it all. Get up in the front. When I'm a baby, my mama's holding me up front in the front seat, not wearing a seatbelt, smoking a cigarette. Well, I'm... <laughs> Isn't it true? Helmets? We never wore helmets growing up. Unless you were playing some contacts. Well, I had a little uh, motorcycle. I never wore a helmet. Rode all over the place, bicycles, jumping ramps, because Evil Knievel was our hero. We're making ramps and jumping over things, not thinking of the consequences on the other side. Our parents let us because they were trying to kill us. You don't believe me? <laughs> you see, your, your parents want you to eat healthy. Now, you eat healthy. Watch your snacking. My mama bought me candy cigarettes and Big League Chew when I was a kid. <laughs> trying to knock me off. Didn't work, but she tried. And so, safety conscious day, what is it? Don't go outside. Stay in the yard. Stay in the yard. My dad said, now you be home by Tuesday, son. <laughs> Don't you leave the county. You stay within 25 miles, you know. Because he's trying to kill us. Our, our playgrounds were designed to kill us when we were kids. Our sliding boards were two stories high, made out of metal to burn you when you slid down them. <laughs> 
swing sets were huge. Monkey, remember monkey bars? We, we had broken bones every year in my school on the monkey bars. And the most dangerous thing of all, which they've outlawed now, was the merry-go-round. I mean, you get eight, nine-year-olds on a merry-go-round going 300 miles an hour. There were skulls, there were skulls of dead kids under there from ours. It was so bad. NASA sent their astronauts to train at our school. That's how dangerous our, our parents were trying to kill us when we were growing up. So, so we had a tough time too. It's not easy being a teenager, uh, no doubt about it. But let me just tell you, the, the rise of technology and the rate of cultural change has really affected teenagers today. And I'm not trying to be critical, but exegetical of the culture. When you hear this, 92% of our teenagers are online every day. And that's really affected them. People skills are declining. Students, you've got to learn to look people in the eye. You've got to learn to have a conversation. I'm working with my youngest daughter. I'm not trying to be critical, but... Uh, you know, she was recently in a situation where $200 was lost and she didn't want to get on the phone and talk to them about it. Now, you got to go on the phone and tell them that's my money. You can't just text it or email it to them. You, you've got to, uh, again, know how to be friendly. But what's happening is because of social media today, you think, I've got 300 friends. Not necessarily. Your friends are those people you can call at 2 in the morning and they'll be there for you. Not those who are online. I'm not trying to be critical, but you've got to be careful the way you think of those things. And what's happening is, the greater the screen time, and adults, we're not innocent here either, but the more screen time that a teenager has, the more prone they are to mental health issues. And did you know that clinical depression is steeply on the rise among teenagers? Not depression, clinical depression, which means the loss of life and many other things. I could go on and on. And what's just troubling, and students, this is not your fault, what I'm about to say. One-third of teenagers have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Whereas when we were growing up, everybody kind of went somewhere. They wouldn't admit it if they didn't. They'd say they belonged to some church. And atheism was just unheard of, whereas while only 8% of our nation would say they're atheists, one in four, Generation Z, 8 to 23-year-olds, do not believe in God. It's going to change our country. We're already seeing it politically with socialism and other things. And I'm not here to talk about politics, but I'm just saying they think differently. So generational concerns, Paul had those, we had those, and that generational concern led to something else, generational losses. Notice generational losses number two. In reference to the younger generation in verse 13, Paul says this, besides, the young people are lazy. They learn to be idle, he's saying. They wander from house to house. And they're not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies posting things on Facebook they ought not post. <laughs> That's how it would set today. Or on Instagram. Or, on, or tweeting things you ought not to tweet. Therefore, I desire the younger widows care for themselves, that they marry, have children, manage their homes, and not give an opportunity to the adversary. That's the devil to speak reproachfully. Now watch this. Very subtly hidden in there, but catch this phrase, what Paul says. For some, some of who? Some of our young women who have grown up with us in recent days. For some have already turned aside after Satan. We're losing some of them. And so that is a concern. And it's, I think, a greater concern for us. And you see that concern in verse 15. I want to share with you five troublesome trends. And they're in your notes in your bulletin so I can go with them very quickly since you have them there. Let me just read through them with really as minimal commentary as I can even give. Today, number one, more students who grow up in church 
are walking away from church than staying after graduation. It's now, we're keeping one and losing two. What does that mean 15 years from now for the churches? Well, we're seeing the results of that. Number two, only two in ten Americans under the age of 30 believe that attending church is important or worthwhile. That is an all-time low. And yes, we're seeing church attendance erode, not just in Southern Baptist churches, but across North America. But real quickly, as I said at the earlier hour, if you weren't there, Christianity is growing worldwide. There's some pockets like North America, though, where we're seeing an erosion. Number three, 35% of young adults have an anti-church stance. They're actually antagonistic. Believing the church does more harm than good. That's scary. Number four, while young people, younger people are still the most responsive to the gospel. Let me just illustrate that to you. How many of you came to know Christ at age 19 or under? You came to a relationship with Christ at age 19 or under. Raise your hand and leave it up. Don't take it down. Leave it up real high. Okay, look if you're in the front, turn around because you can't see. So get a feel for how many people raise their hand, okay, if you're towards the front. Uh, put your hands down. How many of you are age 20 and older? Raise your hand. It's about, looks like about 10% maybe, okay, of the congregation. That's pretty normal, pretty typical, I should say. Most people come to faith before 19 years of age. But look, watch this. More young people, while young people are still more responsive to the gospel, the rate of response is decreasing generationally from the boomers down to Gen Z. And two-thirds are saved before age 13, three-fourths before age 16. The average number of teen baptisms, though, in a Georgia Baptist church last year was one per church. Oh, man, what's that going to do? Because, David, you and I talk about with student pastors, and we see dozens of students baptized in the course of a year. Not because I was doing anything better. It was easier when I was doing it, quite frankly. The generation has, uh, the soul has grown harder. The number five, churches... Here's what I fear from going around to many churches. Churches are oblivious at worst, are struggling at best to integrate younger adults to the life and leadership of the church. This generational collision occurs when younger adults, listen to me, students and young adults, this collision occurs when younger adults fail to give due respect to an older generation. Go back to verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man. Exhort him. Encourage him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. So it talks about the responsibility of a younger generation to show due respect to an older generation. And the generational collision begins to happen when we think we know more than those who have come before us. When we think that we know the best way to do things. No, there's wisdom in experience. There is wisdom in age. And there is godly wisdom. And as younger people, we need to acknowledge that. Not that they know everything. Not that they're perfect, but they've walked some miles that we have not walked. So the generation occurs when younger adults fail to give respect to the older generation, but also when older adults fail to prioritize the next generation. And you heard the text read from Psalm 71, excuse me, Psalm 78, uh, verses 1 through 8, talks about our responsibility to the next generation. I believe this, men and women, I believe that a healthy church loves boys and girls. How about you? I believe that a healthy church loves teenagers. How about you? I believe that a healthy church loves high school grads. How about you? We don't quit when they graduate high school. I believe a healthy church loves young adults. How about you? I believe a healthy church loves parents. How about you? I believe a healthy church loves married adults. How about you? I believe a healthy church loves single adults. How about you? I believe a healthy church loves divorced adults. How about you? We love everybody no matter what the circumstances. A healthy church, I believe, loves 
senior adults, how about you? And retirees and widows. And the church should love and encourage all generations so that no life stage feels left out. So this message is not just for our older adults. It's for younger adults. We've got to take our responsibility not to uh, let this collision continue, but that we come together to do what we must. Now, I want to tell you one story, though, to demonstrate how this can happen if we have the wrong attitude. I was in a church as their interim pastor not long ago, and there was a lady who got mad at me. I know it's hard to believe, Dave, but sometimes people get mad at me as a pastor. And she was waiting to greet me at the back door. And uh, she waited. Everybody got by. She had her arms folded. Her foot was stomping up and down. She was just like revving up. And, brother, she let me have it up and down. And here's what it was. She said, you see that over there, don't you? I said, good gracious. What? She's got a church. I'm getting yelled at. She said, you see that over there, don't you? I said, ma'am, what are you talking about? She said, look over there. And I, I don't know. What are you talking about? Look. Oh, there's a girl over there. She's about 14 years of age, and she wore shorts to our church. And we don't wear shorts in our church. And she's got on shorts, and she had the audacity to wear shorts. I, I'm new. I'm the interim. I don't know who she is. I said, I don't know who this girl is. I said, ma'am, I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't even, I just didn't catch it, honestly. I said, I don't know her. I said, can you, what's her name? You know what she said? Oh, I don't know her name. Okay. Well, what do you want me to do? She said, you need to go talk to her. Well, I said, I probably need to talk to her parents. Who are her parents? You know what she said? I don't know who her parents are. Interesting. I said, well, let me ask you this question. Since I'm new here, how long has she been attending here? You know what she said? I've never seen her before. I said, well, can I ask you one more question? As far as you know, how long has this young lady been a Christian? She said, well, I don't know if she's a Christian or not. Now, I'm not Mr. Confrontational, but God just blesses me sometimes. <laughs> and, and I didn't think about it. God just gave me this word. I, I looked at her and I said, ma'am, are you telling me you're more worked up over the fact that her knees are showing than whether she knows the Lord or not? And she was still mad at me. <laughs> but I had a point. You see, I'm not a fan. I don't wear shorts. I didn't wear shorts that morning. My wife didn't have on shorts. My kids didn't have on shorts. She wore them. We could argue about the appropriateness of that or not. But between me and you, I don't want to condemn her. I want her to have such a good experience. She comes back and hears the gospel next Sunday too. Because God does not change people from the outside in. God changes them from the inside out. But here's where we've got to be careful. When it comes to younger people, they make mistakes. They don't pay attention sometimes. They criticize sometimes. They talk when they should not talk sometimes. They misbehave. They tear things up. And they act a whole lot like we did. <laughs> and we get frustrated sometimes. We need to be compassionate and understand God. Among our younger adults, God blessed them. It's not their fault. They're a lost generation. I'm not talking about the students here. I'm talking about the, the generation. It's a lost generation. And that should break our hearts so here's the reality. Had my barber tell me recently, he said, Steve, he said, I think we should just not even worry about younger people. We're just going to do things the way we like doing things and just let chips fall where they may. He said, what do you think about that? I said, well, brother, I said, I don't agree with that at all. I said, here's why. I said, Wayne, you and I know the Lord. I said, young people don't. We need to do everything we can to expose them to the gospel. And while we shouldn't compromise the scripture, we need to be like missionaries and think about how we can do anything to get the gospel to them and to take down any barriers to the gospel. You've got to remember this. And senior adults, I say this with all respect, because you need to be respected. 
But what we've got to understand is for any church to grow older, it has to grow younger. Or it will close the doors. And there's a lot of churches saying, we're going to keep it like we like it, and they're going to like it right out of business. I hate to stay out of business. You know what I mean? The door is going to be closed one day because they did not make any adaptation to reach this lost generation, this next generation. And i got to say that without saying that we should, we should not do anything to compromise the Word of God. Well, one more thing real quickly here. We see the generational concerns and generational losses, but notice finally and quickly the generational priorities. In verse 16, he, he establishes the priority for this church by saying, if any believing man or woman has widows, in other words, if your mom has lost your dad, if he's died, you should relieve them. It's your responsibility first, and then if some reason you can't, then the church will handle it. It says then, do not let the church be burdened, that they, they may relieve those who really are widows. So he is identifying widows here not as those who have lost their husbands. In this ministry, he's identifying those as widows, as those who are over age 60, who have invested themselves for years and years in the body of Christ, who can no longer care for themselves, and who have no children to take care of them. He's saying, as a church, we're going to take care of this group right here. We're going to take ownership and responsibility to be sure their needs are taken care of. So that was the priority in that church. Now, I want to suggest to you respectfully, while we should meet the needs of every generation We need to prioritize younger people for this reason. Are you ready? Let me illustrate it. I was in a seminar recently, and there was a senior lady there, sweet, sweet lady, much, much older than I am, and I'm approaching seniors myself. And I looked at her and said, Ma'am, I want you to imagine you came to my house. I'd welcome you in, and I'd offer you iced tea, and I'd offer you a nice chair, and I'd see if you wanted something to eat. I said, But, by the way, if I'm out of the room, if you want a glass of water, help yourself. Just treat this like it's your house. If there's something in the refrigerator you want, it's yours. The pantry, if you want to make your own sandwich, you're welcome to do that. I'll be happy to. Make it yourself if you'd like. I said, I'm blessed. We've got a home with a pool. If you want to take a dip, just help yourself. Go on back there and go swimming. You don't have to ask me. Just jump on in there and enjoy the, the cool water and enjoy that. I said, so just make yourself at home. I said, but one thing i got to tell you is this. My two-year-old granddaughter is here. If she wants something to drink... I have to get it for her. She cannot get it for herself. If she's going to eat, I have to get it. She can't get anything out of the refrigerator. She can't get anything out of the pantry. And by the way, we don't let her go swimming by herself. If she's in the backyard, we're back there with her. Because it would be disastrous for her to go out there by herself. She can't swim. She's in peril. She could die if we let her go back there by herself. So that being the case, I asked her, I said, give me, give me a thought here. If you are in my house and my two-year-old is in my house, respectfully, where do you think I probably need to defer if all things are equal to you or to the two-year-old? What do you think she said? To the two-year-old. Why? Wow, the two-year-old is in peril. The two-year-old could die if I don't attend to her needs. Does that make sense? Listen to me. You who are 40s and 50s and 60s, and 70s, and 80s, and 90s. If you are in that age group, and you're born again and saved and going to heaven when you die, say amen. Amen. You're in good shape. You are not in peril. But a 13-year-old who has not yet come to Jesus, we've got to defer because they're in danger if they don't come to Christ. So we do have to shift a little bit in our thinking there. Now I want you to remember this because my time is up and we need to conclude this and let God speak to us through the invitation. Without sacrificing 
commitment, biblical commitment or standards, we've got to adapt with a missionary mindset seeking to reach the lost. Understanding, I want to say this again transparently, it will require sacrifice. And I'm going to say it up front. You'll be uncomfortable. Listen to me, men and women. Jesus is the only way. Is that true? Say amen. Jesus is the only way. I didn't say he was the easy way. He's not the easy way. You'll see this up on the screen. I like being comfortable. I like padded pews. How about you? I'm a fan of air conditioning. I'm a fan of cars versus horses and buggies. I like an ice cold Coca-Cola. I like my recliner. I like HDTV. <laughs> I like my iPhone. I like my iPad. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable. Nothing wrong with it. Comfort is a wonderful blessing. Now listen carefully. Comfort is a great blessing, but it is not the mission. I fear in many churches we've made comfort our mission. No, that's not the mission. The mission is the Great Commission. The mission is to make disciples of all nations and all generations, baptizing them and teaching them all that Christ has commanded us. I'm not suggesting that any generation should be ignored, but Paul here specifically speaks to the needs of our senior saints of his day. I believe God's the creator. He's the creator of every generation. I believe he loves every generation, and I believe we should love who he loves. I'll admit there are things I like and don't like. There are things I prefer and I don't prefer. But I refuse to let my feelings or my likes or my preferences keep me from connecting with my God and my Savior or to keep me from doing what I can to reach the next generation. Psalm 71, 17 and 18 says, God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still proclaim your wonderful works. Even when I am old and gray, I resemble this remark. Even when I am old and gray, God, do not abandon me. I will proclaim your power to another generation. Your strength to all who are yet to come. Our God is bigger. Our God is greater. He's more worthy than what I like or what I think. I choose to worship God. I choose to serve the Lord Jesus in the power of His Holy Spirit and to make an impact on the next generation. And this morning I'm calling upon you to join me in that task. Will you lead your church your Bible study group, your deacons, your ushers, your choir, your ministry, your family, to do anything and everything with a fresh vision and commitment to our children and our grandchildren that they one day, a hundred years from now, will be sitting in heaven with us. Will you do that? I want you to stand right now. And we're going to have an invitation to have a time of commitment. And I'm going to invite you to come today and say, Lord, first I commit. And then as a leader on behalf of this church, we commit. And fathers, a parent or a grandparent, we're going to do all we can. And young people to come and say, I, I commit, not only to those who come behind me. If you're in the fifth grade, it's those fourth graders and third graders. If you're a high schooler, it's those middle schoolers. But I commit to give respect to our seniors who have paved the way and provided what we have to minister here in Thompson, Georgia. Let's pray. And if you want to come and pray that, but most importantly, if you need today, that personal relationship with Jesus. And I haven't shared a gospel message this morning, but nothing else matters unless, unless you know the Lord personally. I bet you come today and say, David, today, I want that relationship with Jesus that these people around me have, that I can have forgiveness and peace in my own life. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Father, thank you for your word. And God, will you continue through the invitation to speak to our hearts and help us to apply what we've learned through this message and this text today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on right now.